We're going to Mark chapter 14, and we're going to read together from verse 3. And being in Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious. And she brake the box and poured it on his head. And there were some that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of the ointment made? For it might have been sold for more than 300 pence and have been given to the poor. And they murmured against her. And Jesus said, Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. For ye have the poor with you always. And whensoever ye will, ye may do them good. But me ye have not always. She hath done what she could. She is come aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial of her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Amen. May the Lord bless to us once again this reading from his word. It is always a pleasure to see the Lord Jesus Christ defending his disciples. And we're going to talk about that for a moment or two. This is going to be a little bit of an extended introduction. I, uh, I never like uh, confusing uh, my listeners uh, by uh, not helping them, hindering them uh, in their uh, awareness of just where we are in our thoughts and in the progression of the sermon. So I wanted just to, to make this point at the beginning that this is going to be a rather extended introduction and then we have a few points that I want to draw as applications at the end. So if it gets to a point in the sermon where I kind of suggest that's the end of the introduction and you look at your watch and it says that we're more than halfway through, don't worry about that. We'll be okay. So we're thinking about the Lord defending his disciples. And it's always a pleasure to see the Lord doing that, as it were, representing his friends in a particular situation. And representation, of course, is the great work of Christ in this world. Whether we think of it in the sense of Christ's priestly office where he offered himself as a sacrifice for our sin or as God's lamb, our sin bearer, 
or whether we think of the Lord Jesus Christ in his mediatorial role as our mediator between God and man. He is representing us to God as our mediator. He is our intercessor. He stands in the presence of God and intercedes on our behalf, represents us before God. He is our advocate. He speaks on our behalf before God. So that the Lord Jesus Christ has always represented his people and he always will. From the foundation of the world in the covenant of grace to the everlasting throne of God in heaven itself, Christ now appears in the presence of God for us. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> From the beginning to the end, he who laid down his life for his sheep is the Lord, our advocate and our representative. And often the Lord spoke up for his disciples against the scribes and the Pharisees or before the crowds of people who might have been looking for the disciples to perform a miracle or, or do something uh, um, that, that, that would uh, satisfy them. Or perhaps we might remember most powerfully in the Garden of Gethsemane, at that moment of the Lord's arrest, John chapter 18 and verse 8, where the Lord Jesus Christ uh, looked into the eyes of those men who had come to arrest him uh, with, their, with their swords and, and with their staves, their, their, their batons, their sticks, and answered, I have told you that I am he. If therefore ye seek me, let these go their way. Christ representing his people, his disciples. But here, in this passage, in this story that we have before us today, it seems that the Lord must defend this dear lady, and we don't know what her name is, that's not given in, in any of the Gospels that recount this narrative. Here, it seems that the Lord must defend this dear lady against his own disciples. Judas appears not to have been alone in his criticism. And verse 4, when we read it together, suggests that, because it's, it's phrased in the plural, that there were several in attendance. Matthew in the parallel passage tells us that they were the Lord's disciples, several of them that uh, were concerned and, and, and uh, spoke ill of this lady. Just for the sake of, of uh, letting you realise that I'm aware that there are a number of passages that are very similar, I shall mention that there was an incident similar to this a few nights earlier. I think that this event took place on the Tuesday night of the final week of the Lord. 
prior to that, a few nights previously, there had been a very similar uh, uh, meal given uh, when Mary had anointed Jesus' feet. But there are distinct differences in these two accounts which tell us that they are separate events. That shows us that there was a, a desire to have the Lord's company, the Lord's presence in various homes as much as possible. And people were eager to have the Lord present with them. That's a lovely picture of inviting the Lord into to, to share uh, in our homes. Similar words were used on that occasion. The Lord had come on that occasion too to Mary's defence and, and used similar words against Judas. But there's no need for us to conflate these meals or indeed these anointings because they are quite different. There were two. And it's noticeable that Judas did not accept the Lord's censure the first time around. And indeed, he seems to have recruited several others on this second occasion. So that having seen the oil, the ointment, used once, now as it is used again, people are beginning to say, really, is this not a waste? Should, should this money not have been used to, to, to do something more, more beneficial, more constructive, more useful? What about all the poor? And this is the point. The Lord Jesus rose to vindicate this act of devotion. And if the Lord Jesus exonerates an individual, and if the Lord Jesus justifies his people's action, no one has ground to criticise or challenge. If Jesus justifies, if Jesus advocates, if the Lord Jesus Christ speaks up and represents us, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect, even a disciple? This action of the anointing of the Saviour's head pleased the Master. And he forbade any to speak ill of this woman declaring, let her alone, why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. And this vindication of the Lord, of this lady, even against his disciples, I think is very comforting. And we ought to note it and we ought to remember it. Often, in our life's experience, a believer will be harassed and a believer will be hassled by enemies outside of the body of Christ. And largely, although it's not without effect, but largely we can take that kind of criticism all day from such a source. But it's much harder to bear criticism from a brother or a sister in the Lord. And let us just pause and think about that for a moment. Consider what this poor woman must have felt like coming into this gathering, 
There is the Lord at meal. They're, they're, they're dining together. The Lord is there. His host is there. The disciples are there. And this woman comes in. She has a passion. She has a burden in her heart. She has spent so much on this gift. And it's been laid upon her heart the importance of this moment. Indeed, its significance. Think of what she must have felt having the Lord's own disciples criticise and condemn her for this act of reverence and love. I do not doubt that there was humiliation. I don't doubt that there was embarrassment, that, that suddenly she wondered whether she had done wrong, whether this was right at all. Had she been mistaken in, in, in all this thinking? These thoughts must have filled her heart and filled her mind. But what did the Lord say? Oh, blessed Saviour, rising to the defence of this little one. Let her be. Let her alone. Why trouble ye her? She hath wrought a good work on me. Is there a lesson in that for us? I think so. I think so. Let me let me be personal to myself and you can personalize this to yourself if you like. Lord, dear Lord, let me not be the one to criticize an act of devotion from a child of God. If I don't understand what that little one is doing, help me just to keep quiet and let them get on with their service. And maybe I might learn something by observing what's happening. And if the Holy Spirit lays it upon our heart to honour the Lord in a particular way, do not let the censorious attitude of even fellow believers hold you back in your act. <clears throat> it's your gift to the Lord. It's your good work on his behalf. And that's sufficient. That's enough. And here's a third little application here. It was a woman, it was a woman who honoured the Lord and wrought or worked a good work on him. It wasn't one of his You know, his disciples were preoccupied, even on this occasion, about who was going to be the greatest amongst them. They were preoccupied about thinking about financial things, thinking about, about what this money might have been better employed doing. Maybe women are more sensitive on such occasions as, as these. But it was a woman who did it. It was a woman who did it on each occasion that the Lord was anointed. And these men in that room that night were doubly humbled. First, for not understanding the gesture. And second, by demeaning and defaming the woman as she brought her gift. I admire the Lord's words to this woman and to uh, uh, the disciples 
on her behalf. She hath done what she could. God bless her. She may not have been in a position to do much. She was just a woman in the, in the company of all these men. All these men whose, whose status, all these men whose circumstances, all these men who had seen so much and heard so much and been honoured so much by the Lord. And there was this woman, this lady, whose name we don't even know. But she did what she could. That is the end of my extended introduction. <clears throat> but I've got another three points that I just want to quickly bring before you today. And I hope that they uh, will elevate the importance of this incident, incident uh, in, in, in the Lord's life and experience and, and in this lady's life uh, for us. The first one is this. It is to think about the ointment or the oil of anointing. Ointment and, and oil, um, while not being necessarily the same, are sometimes used synonymously in Scripture so that they mean the same thing. So if I say ointment or I say oil of anointing, I, I mean in this context the same thing. In verse 7 we're told, There came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she break the box and poured it on his head. This was a very powerful testimony and witness to the faith of this dear lady. She perceived spiritual truth. She leaned upon and acted upon what her Saviour had said and what her Saviour had taught her. She had heard the Lord's teaching about his death and she believed it and she acted upon it. That speaks of faith. That's what faith is. Now Messiah means anointed one. And so there is so much symbolism <clears throat> in this woman's action of anointing the Lord when we consider that she is testifying here that he is the Christ. Before he goes to his death, before he goes to the cross, she is testifying that he is the Messiah. And that name the anointed one is uniformly a name of Christ in the Old Testament and in the New Testament because Christ is God's anointed one. Anointed and consecrated and set apart for God's great work of salvation. This was the God-man to fulfill the terms of the covenant of peace. The anointed one charged and called forth in God's eternal decrees to deliver and save God's elect people. The anointed one chosen to represent sinners before God, to reconcile sinners to God, to redeem 
God's elect by the blood of the sacrifice, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, that they might dwell eternally in the presence of God. Listen to how much the Old Testament writers understood of this God-man, Jesus Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah. Listen to all of these themes coming together in this little, this beautiful little passage from Psalm 89. Verse 19 says this. Then thou spakest in vision to thy Holy One, and saidst, I have laid help upon one that is mighty. I have exalted one chosen out of the people. I have found David my servant, with my holy oil have I anointed him. This lady followed God the Father in anointing the anointed one, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I said a moment ago that Christ was as the anointed one sent to represent, to reconcile and to redeem. And the means of redemption was blood atonement. The lady understood that the Lord Jesus Christ was about to lay down his life. The proper wages of sin is punishment and death. But Christ, the anointed one, had done no sin was not worthy in any way of death. And yet, as a substitute, was found and went to the cross on our behalf. As a surety was appointed. As a saviour was successful. And the preciousness of the spikenard that this woman brought speaks of the preciousness of Jesus in all of these capacities. And as this woman came in the midst of that gathering that night, and she brought that fragrance and she broke it, the perfume spoke of the service of the Saviour, of the sacrifice of the Saviour, of the achievements of the Saviour on the behalf of his people. The death of the Lord Jesus Christ delights our senses and sweetens our passage in this world as we understand what he has done, like the fragrance of the spike nard diffused through that whole room that night. The box must be broken and the oil must be poured out. And Christ must be opened. Christ must be pierced. Christ must be beaten and bruised and slain as the sin offering of his people. The soul that sinneth it must die. And though he had never sinned, he took the place of the sinner. He took our sin to be his own sin. <clears throat> he endured it in his own body. He died in our place. Rightly, appropriately, 
as the one who had appropriated our sin and our guilt as our surety and substitute. Bore our griefs, as Isaiah, carried our sorrow and endured the wrath of God. Spikenard is a fragrant plant. And when a fragrant plant is crushed, the fragrance releases and diffuses. And when the Lord Jesus Christ was crushed under the weight of God's wrath against our sin, he released a fragrance of heavenly life. And he sent it forth on gospel wings to his redeemed people. These are things that we can glean and draw from the oil, from the ointment of anointing. And here's another thing that we can draw from this woman's actions. The reason for the anointing, the, the Saviour explicitly tells us, is that she had come beforehand or aforehand to anoint my body to the burying. I don't know to what extent the woman grasped the significance and timeliness of her act. But why would we deny or minimise her understanding in any way? Let us, let us be magnanimous. Let us be gracious. Let us be broad and wide in, in attributing to this lady's understanding. Does not the Holy Spirit open our understanding and give us grace to see the Lord Jesus Christ, then why not here too? That the disciples struggled to grasp the forthcoming crucifixion of the Lord was in no way due to any failure on the part of the Saviour to declare and explain what was about to happen. She only had to listen to the teaching of her Lord to know if she simply believed what he said. And that's what she did. She heard and she believed. And I am sure that hereafter she thanked God frequently that she had been able to fulfil this task before the Lord was slain. It not having been possible afterwards. She had been prompted by gospel truth. She had been prompted by a heart of love towards the Saviour and complete commitment. She had spent so much on this jar, this, this box of spikenard. She was committed to this task. And knowing that the Lord was soon to die and it being revealed to her by the Spirit, that she would not be able to perform this good work when he was dead. She came to do it now. The disciples still hadn't got the message, but this woman had. She knew that Jesus was about to die and she wished to honour him and express her love to one in whom she trusted, into whose hand she committed her soul's eternal safety. So make no mistake, this was an act of faith on this woman's part. 
Christ said he was about to die and she believed him. Cleophas, several days later, um, the day actually that the Lord rose, so several days after uh, the, 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 the Lord's death, Cleophas, on the road to Emmaus, said this, We trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel. Three days after the Lord's death and still struggling with the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ hadn't established an earthly kingdom there in Israel. But the lady anointed her saviour because she knew he was about to give his life a ransom for sin. And her faith, like all true faith, is God's gift to his people. Its exercise identifies God's elect people. And here's my third and final point. Lord Jesus Christ said, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, what gospel is he talking about? Well, of course, you know, don't you? The gospel of the death, burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel of the death of Christ for the remission of sins. The gospel of the redemption of sinners and the securing of everlasting life on their behalf. The gospel is principally the doctrine of Christ's death and burial and resurrection. And it was this action of the woman that emphasised the gospel. Now certainly it is true that the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ is good tidings of great joy. The life of the Lord Jesus Christ, all that Christ did, the good that he did in the service of his people. These are good news to men and women, to boys and girls. And so they are gospel too. But principally, Christ's dying for sin, Christ's atonement for sin, Christ's satisfying justice, Christ's fulfilling the law, Christ's destroying death and the defeat of Satan is the power of the cross. Christ lying in the grave, Christ leaving the sins of his people behind him there in the grave when he arose, <coughs> Christ rising again from the dead, for their justification, which was the purpose of him coming into the world, is the most glorious part, the principal part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And these words of Christ show that this gospel should be preached in all the world for the conversion of sinners, for the edification of saints, and for the glory of Christ's name. This gospel, this gospel, 
This sovereign gospel, this particular, distinguishing, gracious gospel shall be preached all over the world by the apostles according to Christ's commission. And it will continue till the Lord comes again to gather his church and to judge the world. And wheresoever this sovereign grace gospel is preached, this woman's faith, this woman's sacrifice, this woman's good work for her Lord, this also that she hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial for of her. Amen.